What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 78 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this journey with you as we are seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, it has been a crazy spring, I know, for all of us, but you know what? I think there's been some good things that have come out of it. I love hearing the intentional time that people are spending with their families. It was funny. I was driving into work and heard them talking on the radio about how more money is being spent on groceries than in the last 50 years because people are eating at home and they're spending time together. And that is a great, great thing. And I know that there are some lessons we'll all take when life resumes as normal. And I know during this time, it has been great to find some old normal in the new normal. And I hope this podcast has been part of that old normal with inspiration from great leaders. You know, our last episode with Ike, what a fun time to sit down with one of my heroes, one of my guys on my Mount Rushmore and let you listen in and hear why he means so much to me. That was that was just fun. So I hope this podcast has been that for you. If you've enjoyed this, man, it would be a huge favor to me if you would hit pause, go to iTunes, and leave a review, if you would. Man, just writing that out, leaving a review, leaving a rating helps us so much. And then subscribing and sharing, it just helps us because my goal is to raise the spiritual temperature of leaders across our country. And boy, it would mean a ton. Well, today we get to sit down with another great leader talking about inspirational. Every time I leave time with this gentleman, I leave more challenged and I leave better. You may not know his name, but I know you know his voice. He does the intro and outro of all our episodes here on Lynch with a Leader. He is a uh, does a lot of voiceover work for uh, groups across the country, for commercials across the country. He's been on the radio at V103 here in Atlanta. He describes himself as a serial entrepreneur and a speaker. He's a business owner. He's a branding strategist. He is one of the most eclectic, unique leaders I have ever met. You can hear him now on his podcast and radio show, Real Money, Real Talk. It is phenomenal, and he is doing such a great time, great, great service there, helping people with their money. He grew up in a small town in Mississippi, and today is a leader in the business world, and truly one of the kindest, nicest people I have ever had the pleasure of knowing. His story is one that's almost like a movie, and you are going to love it. So do yourself a favor, pull up a chair, pull out a pen or pencil to write with because you got some good stuff coming, and I want you to listen in to my talk with my good buddy, Mr. Ernest Davis. Well, Ernest, it is my honor to have you today on Lunch with the Leader. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure. You were one of the guys. You are one of the first guys I remember telling this idea yeah. to. And you didn't tell me I was an idiot. So no, I, I did really, not. I really appreciated that. I really appreciated that. One of the best things you've ever done. Oh, my gosh. I remember getting that group of guys together talking about Lunch with the Leader and, and this going... I sort of want him to tell me it's a stupid idea, and I sort of want him to tell me to go for it. So thanks for believing in me. No, absolutely. You are You're awesome. You're doing great. Man, you are awesome. Tell everybody a little bit of what you do today. Give everybody a little snapshot of Ernest Davis. <laughs> you don't have enough tape. <laughs> 
I, uh, at heart, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I got started uh, in, in radio when I was 14, and um, God gave me the opportunity to use my voice in a very big way. And I still do that now. So part of what I do is I'm in front of the microphone. I, I'm not, no longer on the radio, but I work from home. So each day, my voice can be heard in about 80 million households on various product commercials or branding, you know, promos for different events that may be coming. Um, the other side uh, is I have a few other businesses that I kind of run and operate, a couple of salons, real estate. I believe in diversification, and um, that's just kind of always been the piece of what I am. It's just I really love creating something and watching it grow to be something to somehow help other people, right? And so I leverage my entrepreneurial spirit that I gain at a very young age, and I just use that. So I love to create mm. things, right? And so part of what I do is strategic marketing, voiceover business, and then these other ancillary things that I get to do that are fun, where I, if there are opportunities, I try to seize them. So you must have been born with a silver spoon in your mouth, and you came from a, a long blue bloodline family that had lots of businesses that you just sort of took the reins of. That wasn't your story, was it? Was not my story. Talk to me. Bring Mike, me back on your story. We were poor. I mean, real poor. And I think one of the things that changed my life was that I got a glimpse. I used to mow lawns of people who had a lot of money, right? Because they were the ones, because I was, I said, well, listen, if I'm going to mow lawns, let me mow lawns for people who have more money to pay than those who have very little money to pay, right? (laughs) Wise man, wise man. So so what happens is, is that all of the rich people will feel like, oh, look at this little, little poor soul wants to mow the lawn. Let's give him 20 bucks. You know, it may be the lawn that, you know, that only took me 15, 20 minutes to do. But what it did was it gave me a glimpse Mm. into what success looked like because I grew up on the other side of the tracks. I knew then that they were no different because, okay, because I was in in church young because I was a musician. So so that's the other piece. I guess I didn't mention that part, too, because I told you it was complicated. So I, I, I majored in music, but I was actually a musician from the age of 13 playing for my church. So I was always in the church. And I the one thing I didn't know a lot about Christ, other than what the church kind of told me, because I wasn't reading the Bible back then. But what I did know was, is that if he loved us all, what is it that other people do that's so different than people on my side of the tracks either didn't do? Because if God loved us all, how is it that some people live their lives totally different from others? Mm. That created a hunger in me Mm -hmm. to go on this quest to find out what is it that you need to do differently or think differently to have something that you don't have? And I was determined to do that. So when I got a glimpse of what success looked like, I would begin to ask these people questions. And what I found out was this. Success is based on not what you pursue. It's what you create. Mm, boy, that's good. Most people in life spend their life searching for something. They're searching for the best job. They're searching for the right relationship. They're searching for the right opportunity. So when you search for something, it sends you on a chase. Mm -hmm. When you create something, you stay where you are and you plant it where you are. It's like this. The first four words of the Bible really gives us the clue to that. In the beginning, God created. Mm. Now, here's what's interesting. God is God. He didn't have to create anything. Why couldn't it have just like been? (laughs) In the beginning, there was no beginning. It's just, it was. No, in the beginning, God created. So here's the deal. Anything that you want, you create it, you plant it. So Mm. if it's love, so it's like watermelons, right? If you want watermelons, you can get them by two ways. You can go searching for them or you can plant them. You can plant Mm -hmm. the seed. And wait for it, and then you'll have a harvest of watermelons that grow over and over and over again. But if you go searching for a watermelon, you may find it. But once it's gone, to get another one, you have to go search for it again. Hmm. So that's why the world is in this huge chase for something that they have to continually keep chasing for. Because the secret really is creating it. So if you want love, don't go searching for it. Just plant it. 
Mm. <laughs> if you want money, don't go searching for it. Plant it and get it to grow. So whatever it is you're deficient in in your life, plant it. You sow it. I mean, so, you know, we learn this through other uh, other things like the law of, you know, the law of sowing and reaping, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it works for both good. It works for both bad. So there are certain universal laws that work for anyone. And crazy enough, I learned that as a child being very poor. One of the things that transformed my life was, let me tell you how poor we were, Mike. There was this chocolate. I was in the band called World's Finest Chocolate. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember that. I remember that. Right? You sell them for a dollar bar. Yep. The band would buy them for 50 cents. We were so poor that my mom wouldn't let me eat any of the chocolate bars because they cost a buck. We couldn't afford the dollar for me to eat the chocolate bar. She's like, no, if you want candy, we'll go get you some M&Ms. They're five yep. for a dollar. You are not going to eat this expensive candy. <laughs> but it was the world's finest. But it was the, it world's, was the world's finest. <laughs> so the band had this contest. Whoever sold the most chocolates got a prize. We didn't know what the prize was. So I hit it hard, man. I took the boxes of candy to church. I was playing for the church, so everybody bought it. I knew everyone at the church. I took it around the neighborhoods. I must have sold 800 and some odd dollars worth of chocolate bars. So I'm excited. Yeah. This is the most money I've ever seen in my life. I'm thinking, like, is it even safe to take $800 to school? <laughs> <laughs> is somebody going to rob us, right? <laughs> no, do I need to call the Wells Fargo I Brinks? I love it. So, but here's what happened. I turned in over $800. And they gave me a $5 gift card. And something about that exchange didn't feel as rewarding as the $5 gift. I said, wait a minute. I went out and worked for two, three, four weeks, sold all this candy, made over $800, and I got a $5 gift card. So then I said, okay, now that I know how to do it, why not just do it for myself? So as a kid, I called World's Finest Chocolate. It was a long-distance phone call then, Mike. Oh, so was baby. Like, yeah, that was, that was not an easy phone call. No. So uh, my mom was like, what's this bill for 75 cents a minute? So I asked them, do you allow people to buy your chocolate and sell it as individuals? They said, we don't care. You have to just buy them in cases. And it's 25 to a case. And uh, they're 50 cents each. So that would be 12, you know, a little over, you know, 12.50. So I took the money from mowing lawns. Bought cases of world's finest chocolate. Unbelievable. Went to everyone who had bought it and said, how did you like the chocolate? They was like, it was great. Are you still selling it? I said, you know what? By the way, I am. (laughs) So I sold world's finest chocolate throughout the entire year and continued to make that money. Because if I could do it for someone else, I could do it for myself. What did it feel like, Ernest, when that spark hit? When When you saw... My my conditions do not have to dictate my future. Yeah. Where I'm at doesn't have to be what I continue in. What did it feel like when that spark lit inside you that's still burning now? Oh, it's burning. Yeah. It, burns. It, it, it changed my life because I saw what it did for my family. Mm. Because we were poor, there were things that we needed. So... The day I was able to give my mom an extra 50 bucks to go buy groceries for us, Mm. and I saw how much it relieved our situation, that was the spark that helped me to understand that it wasn't about the money. Mm. It was never about the money. It was about the difference you can make when you have more. Mm -hmm. If you have a heart to give, if you have a heart to do, when you have more, that's the more you can give and the more you can do and the more impact. So the spark that came for me was when I saw the difference Mm. it could make by making a simple, small adjustment. Because I saw other kids, because here's what I saw. I saw other kids like me who didn't have. And then I made a small adjustment or tweak in the way that I think. Because we a man think is easy, right? That's right. I I didn't know all this stuff back then, but I was kind of working my way through it. And then I saw a small adjustment in the way you think and behave can make a huge ripple effect of difference in your life. That's right. But in the lives of others. When I saw that, it was like contagious. And I've spent the rest of my life seeking out information of how you leverage it to create something that you don't have. 
And that's how I've lived all my life. Wow. I remember you telling me the very first time you and I got together, you told me the story of somebody that you were, I guess, going through town and saw an investment office. And, yes. And somebody there spent time with you, yes. talked to you. Tell, tell everybody that story. It's a great Steve story. Steve Gallen Harrison, I'll never forget the name of the firm. Um, one of my buddies was playing, and a guy from A.L. Williams, I don't know if you remember that. Oh, very well, yeah. He yeah. came by the house, and he was trying to sell something to one of my friend's dad. And so I asked him, do you mind if I listen in on the session? And he said, sure, go right ahead. And he asked a question, and he said, do you know how much money you would have if you took a dollar and it doubled for 30 days? Now, no one in the room could answer the question, including me. Mm -hmm. But then when he showed me how through compounding interest, you, a dollar becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, so and so and so yep. on. He says, so if a dollar doubled 30 days, 30 times, you'd have a million dollars. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, no, you know, that. that's not true. He said, yeah. no, that's the, that's how compounded interest right. works. So I said, so how do you do this? He says, through investments. So that he just planted that seed. The guy left. So what did I do? Being Ernest Davis, I'm on a how quest. How old were you at this point? Oh, I was 14. 14. 14. Yes, I was 14. So my dad, so I saw this investment office. It was Harrison Stegall and Associates. I never forget it. So my dad went in to go shopping in the, in the Kroger. I said, Dad, do you mind if I walk? He says, go ahead. Do what you want to do. You know, it's pretty safe, yeah, you know, yeah. in Mississippi, right? Small town. So, you know, nothing was going on. So I walked in, and I never forget it. She says, young man, are you lost? I said, no, I'm not lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 14-year-olds don't wander in investment offices. Right, you know what I mean? 14, especially little 14-year-old uh, black kids, right, in Mississippi, and you're like, what in the world are you doing in here, son? Golly. <laughs> I said, so um, I heard about this thing called investing. And I said, I was wondering if it's something that I could start doing. She said, you're serious, aren't you? I says, as Dornell. She said, uh, so she called her partner in. She says, and I could hear her telling her partner, yeah. you've got to come see this. <laughs> There's this 14-year-old kid in the lobby who wants to learn about investing. So he comes in, and she says, tell him your story again. I says, I want to, I heard about investing and compounding interest. I don't know what it means. I said, but I want to learn about investing. She says, uh, and I said, how much does it take? She says, well, you can actually get started with $25 a month. I said, really? So I bought my first Franklin Templeton foreign phone. I remember to this day. And uh, she says, I, you can't actually do it without someone signing because you, you know, because you're underage, you have right. to be at least 18. So she says, as long as your dad's willing to sign, then you basically just write a check for $25 a month and you can start investing. So I started investing into mutual funds when I was 14 years old. Yep. The only one in your class, I bet. Only one in my class. <laughs> Nobody else had any interest in it. Nobody understood what it meant. And I watched money grow, and I and and I and I noticed that some people just you have to have the framework to be open to something uh -huh. new, and uh -huh. most people aren't. That's right. So I would try to spread the word, and say, "Hey, you've got to see this, man. My money is growing." And kids are like, "Dude, what are you on? Like, yeah. you, we're looking for the next party, the next yeah. keg of beer." It's like, you know, so crazy. So yeah, so yeah, I, I was fourteen, and and then that's when I began to see that it was real. So it, it was a, so by then I, I had this hunger to create more. So I started working more jobs. So by age 15, you know, I got started in radio. I was mowing lawns. I was still selling flower seeds, chocolate on the side. I mean, talk about side hustles. Unbelievable. My whole day was a side hustle. And then you got in tux rentals. Tux rentals. Tell everybody how you got into Texas. Same concept. I was so I was working in radio. Right? <laughs> I told you this is complicated. So I was working in radio and I was in Mobile at the time. And uh, there was an event that we had to get tux out for. So I went to the place that was sponsoring our tuxedos. So I was got fitted for a tux, and I started to notice this guy had like two thousand tuxedos hanging up. And I was like, "Where do you rent two thousand tuxedos to?" He says, "No." He says, "We supply tuxedo rentals." for satellite companies. So if people want to open their own tuxedo rental store, we will rent it to them for 30 bucks. And I said, well, how much would this tuxedo cost me if I was renting it retail? He said, 80 bucks. So I did the math. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's more than 100% markup. 
He's like, yeah. I said, well, how do you? He says, you basically measure. We'll send them to you via UPS. We'll pick them up via UPS and you just collect. I thought about that. And back in my hometown, there was only one wow. tuxedo rental business that served five cities. I, I ran back to Mississippi and I had $700 credit limit on my card. And I started a formal wear business. So I didn't have enough money to open up the store, right? So my creative mind, I said, well, what if I open up, so turn a negative into a positive. So I said, here's what I'll do. I'll go get business cards. He had brochures that were blank. So I just put my business card on them. I said, I'll call it something fancy. So I call it Winfrey's. So, okay, maybe people will think it's Oprah's, right? Because she's from Mississippi. And then there was this swanky hotel in Birmingham called the Winfrey Hotel. So I call it Winfrey's because it sounded like Winfrey, it just it just had that <laughs> ring to it, right? <laughs> so I call it Winfrey's formal wear. So I got in the newspaper at that time. People were would announce their engagements. Yeah. So I would go through all the newspapers and find people that I knew had ever met, and I'd say, "Hey, listen, I want to talk to you about this new formal wear business that uh, uh, I've just opened called Winfrey's Formal Wear." I said, "But here's the difference: we make it convenient for you." Instead of you coming to us, we come to you. Because I didn't have a business. I mean, yep. I didn't have a store for them to come to, right? So, <laughs> so a great name. <laughs> but a great name. So I had a brochure and a great name. So I'd go meet with the bride and groom, right? Give them the brochures. Let them pick out what tuxedo they wanted, what colors they wanted. And I said, hey, we'll even come and measure you, measure all your groomsmen. I said, listen, you don't want to risk groomsmen having to come in and deal with other people's business hours. You get people together for social, maybe at rehearsal. Yep. We'll come measure them. We'll deliver the tuxedos. And we'll pick them back up for you. Totally door service. And the groomsman, you'll and the groom, you'll get yours free. So see, back in back in Mississippi, people would get married deep, man. Yeah, they'd have thirty people oh, in the God, wedding. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're exactly right. You're exactly right. The ring bearer would have a ring bearer. <laughs> <laughs> you see these trail of people coming down. Oh, that's so good. So I booked about thirty weddings before I actually had a storefront with this type of service where I would come to you. So you multiply that. So I would call in to Masters Tuxedo and Mobile, give them the measurements. They'd send them to me next day, UPS. I'd steam them, go deliver them, go pick them back up that Monday from the groom. And I did that 30 times until I raised enough money to actually open a storefront. So once I opened the storefront, bought a few mannequins, put some hot tuxedos in the front. At that time, the... the um, the Michael Jordan edition tuxedo had come out and my competitor didn't have it. And all the kids wanted it for prom. So I got the Michael Jordan mannequin in the wonder, right? You know, with the tight fitting legs. Cause you know, guys hated tuxedos because they made them look like a penguin. That's right. Well, these were the Michael Jordan edition and people went nuts. So I got the top (laughs) football players and the cheerleaders. And I said, I'll tell you what, for every coupon that comes in with Winfrey's on it and your name on the back, you'll get $5 and you'll get your tuxedo free. So I had the most popular people in school passing out my brochures, wearing my stuff. So proms, we had about 40 high schools between the four or five cities. And it was was a wrap. (laughs) How long did you keep the tux business before you sold it? Uh, I actually gave it away. Oh, did you really? I got. I was in the, I told you my life was complicated, right? So somewhere in this process, I actually joined the Navy reserves because I didn't have enough money for college. Yep. So I wanted to go through the GI bill. And so I joined the Navy reserve. So I got this phone call. Another thing that I will say that changed my life because it gave me, it pulled me away um, was desert store. Mm. Got a phone call about three o'clock in the morning. I never forget it. Cause back then you had answer machines that would oh, be, yeah, that's right? right. And that's you could right. hear the person's voice. Yep. Got this phone call at 3 AM Ernest Davis. This is chief petty officer Fowler. You have been recalled. You have 48 hours to report. Click. War? <laughs> what are you talking about? I signed up for the GI Bill. War? Me? I was the only guy in my unit that got called. 
unbelievable. Which was an odd thing. What happened was when I signed up, something happened. It was a glitch. So they had attached me to a unit out of North Carolina. I didn't know, but I was drilling in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. But that unit got called up. So I was attached internally in the system to that unit. So, but I, so I was like, okay, this has got to be weird. I mean, I've got this business I'm yeah. on the radio. I'm playing for church. I'm in college. You know, things are going great. War. So I got called up. And after spending a year and a half in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina with the Marines, because I was Navy, but we were medical. Mm-hmm. Um, God kind of spoke to my heart and said, you know, I'm ready for you to go do something else. Mm. So when I got back to Mississippi... I decided to move because I'd already been gone for a year and a half. And it was time to something in my spirit was like greater, bigger, more Mm. time to leave. And so I left and moved to Atlanta, got in radio in Atlanta. And the employees who had taken care of the business for a year and a half, they didn't have to do that. But I left in the middle of the night, basically, and they took it over and took care of it. So I went back and I said, you know what? I kept for a few more years. I said, you know, you guys have labored. You've taken care of the business. You've taken care of me. You deserve it. Mm. I said, you have it. They said, no, we got to give you something. I said, fine. You want to give me something, pay me a little something every month. That's fine. So you feel better about it. So I gave it to the employees. Wow. Yep. So you moved to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And what began your journey here in Atlanta? What was your first break here in the city? First break in the city, um, I initially started working in the record business because at the time, the radio station I wanted to work for, which was V103, um, didn't have any positions available. So I said, how do I get in to V103? And I just, so I started working in the record business because I enjoyed entertainment yep. and majored in music. And I said, well, by working in the record business, it gave me access to always get to the radio station. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right? That's exactly right. Yep. So I would go every week basically to visit them to try to get them to play our music. I only had one record. It was Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't date us or anything. It doesn't date us. I remember Ice Ice Baby when it came out. <laughs> Kids now laugh about it. That's right. That was that was real, man. That, that was, was real. real. Heck yeah, it was real. Oh my gosh. So I would go to the radio station, and uh, while I was there. Um, I would inquire about positions, and I tell them, you know, about my background in radio, and that I have worked at other stations. So, you know, everyone wants to work at this station; it's a big station. So, when something comes available, we'll let you know. Well, one day it did, and two positions became available. It says, "Hey, you know, uh, which one would you like to try out for?" So, I auditioned for the uh, midday slot, mm. and uh, when I did that, I got it, and that was probably the first big break because mm. everyone would come through that radio station. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, we had access to all the artists. We had access to, I mean, because, and you know, you were kind of like a local celebrity. So yep. there wasn't anybody who I couldn't get to by saying I was Ernest Davis from V103. I'm like, oh, come on in. Yeah, yep. you know, you're, you know yep. you're, you're, you're vented already, you know. Uh, so I um, leveraged that to kind of expand my relationships, mm. to learn more about business, to learn more about opportunities, and um, to launch my voice over career and um, hadn't turned back. That's so crazy. Would you be where you are today without mentors? If if there were people, because you've talked about a few of the people along the way that the, the, the folks at the office that poured into you, have there been others that have poured into you to help you be who you are today? Absolutely. I mean, I have had some, um, one of the mentors that I really, or tribute. I, my life has been one that it's been in stages. I guess how most people's lives are, right? There are stages. But I've been one to understand when it's time to leave the party. Mm. A friend of mine always told me, he said, always leave the party while you're having a good time. So always look for what is it that's next, mm. right? And um, one of my mentors, two of my mentors that um, helped, helped, helped to change my trajectory in life, <laughs> said something to me that really shook me. They both basically said, you're wasting your time. Now, listen, Mike, Now that was difficult for me. Um, and it was one of the guys was my mentor back in Mississippi, who was an attorney who's become very successful. And another close mentor of mine, um, you may have heard his name before, Stedman Graham. Mm-hmm. And um, they both kind of took a sneak peek at my life in terms of what I was doing. And they saw something in me that I had not seen in myself. 
I thought my whole calling and purpose was to oh create businesses and be this serial entrepreneur and you know grow business and do things and just shake the trees and yep. make it happen, right? Yep. So I was su- successful by the world standards, by society standards because I guess I, I was financially successful, mm-hmm. right? But what they saw was something deeper in me Mm. beyond that. And they both said to me, you know, we're proud of you. You've done great for yourself. But what you're doing doesn't even amount close to what you've been created to do. Wow. And if you spend the rest of your days just growing businesses, you're going to be wasting your life. Mm. Mike, that was hard to hear. I bet it was. Because I thought I was successful, right? Yeah, yeah. Success is relative, I guess, right? So in my mind, so I had to go on this quest. And it was a deep, dark quest. Because it caused me to ask myself a simple question of why. Hmm. Why goes deeper than what? <laughs> you know? That's right. It sure does. <laughs> you know, everybody can tell you what they want in life, what they want to accomplish it, but why? So you want to go to the next level in whatever your industry is. Why? Yep. Is it because you can impress so you can impress people? Is it because you just want to make more money? Uh you want more opportunity? People say, Yeah, I want to make more money. Okay, why? Uh, because I can change my lifestyle. Why? Mm. If you keep asking why? Right. It leads you to something much deeper called purpose, mm. because if you ask why and you reach a dead end that ends with only you, you're headed That's for right. a collision in your life. That's right. So I it, so it was difficult because when I started investigating my life and started asking why, why do you want to be more successful? Why do you want more business? And when I started running into these dead ends of like me Mm. or things that I want, then I realized that's not going to be fulfilling. Mm. It's just not. The greatest gift they gave me was to challenge me to look internally and to step out on faith and leave something that was already successful. It's easy to leave the party when That's the party's right. over. That's right. <laughs> right? You're exactly right. It's you're hard exactly to leave the right. party when your favorite song just came on yep. and the crowd just came in and it's getting crunked, right? Yep. Life was crunked for me. It was like it was on. Everything was hitting on all cylinders. But I had to look within. Mm. But I didn't leave. I was shackled by um, my celebration. Mm. for what it had happened. Mm. I wish I could say that I had the courage to step away. Yep. I didn't. So God kind of allowed things just to come tumbling down. Like So when the 2008 crisis came and everything started, the world was kind of sh- shaken by this whole financial crisis. Businesses started letting go of their marketing firms. They started letting go. They started finding ways to consolidate, uh, bring more things in-house. And that was the lion's share for where my clients were. And overnight, it just changed. My world came tumbling down. Wow. I was, I was, you know, I had, you know, loans on all the, I had my own office that I owned. I had staff. I had all this payroll, had all these things going on. And overnight, it seemed seemingly overnight, it was all over. The music stopped. Musical chairs, mm. wouldn't a chair for me to sit in. I was left standing. Yep. I was at the game. And I literally had to rebuild. I lost it all. I mean, lost it all. Hit rock bottom. When you got to rock bottom, I'm sure their words are playing in your head. Yep. You know, what you should have done. <laughs> Was there a point when you were at rock bottom that you went, I don't know if I got it in me to get up? Absolutely. Um I haven't told this story to many people, but I'm going to tell it because it may help someone. One of the darkest nights in my um, in my condo was um, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here. Um, 
Satan whispered into my ear that um, you had a good time. The ride's been great. Um, maybe you should just end it all. Mm. Now, I uh, that was the first time I had ever heard anything like that. And I was lying in bed. And it was the greatest struggle for me that night because I think that was the night where I had to make a choice to give up and throw in the towel or get back up. Mm. But I heard this voice that just said, go downstairs and just start reading the Bible. That's 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 because I couldn't call anyone. I was too embarrassed to call yeah, him. Sure, say, listen, sure. because, you know, you know, you know, I don't want people bugging me saying, oh, dude, you all right. Yeah. Get you, you need to go see someone, you know, or, you know, uh, 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 you know I just, you know, that I because I was like, OK, maybe this is just a moment. Let me sort this thought out. So yep. I couldn't tell anybody. I didn't want to tell anybody mm. that this whisper came right in the middle of the night. All I knew was something said to go and read. So I got out of bed and went downstairs three o'clock in the morning and I just started reading the Bible and I feel like I looked suicide in the face and I said, and I did say this verbally. I said, you will not take me. Mm, mm. I am going to take my life back. And in reading the word, this, there was this comfort that came over me that said, that assured me, you may not have all the answers now, but if I got you there once, I'll get you there again. Yep. And whatever you think that's been taken away from you, I can restore back to you times 10 mm. if you do it a little differently. What I was not going to do was repeat the same thing yep. again. Because I wasn't going to let someone just blow the chips all down. No, no that's no, right. No, no, no. It had yeah. to be deeper. It had to be more meaningful. It had to be something that was aligned with a higher calling. That rescued me. Mm. It, it, it rescued me. If you took faith out of that, because you grew up in church. Yes. You, you've been around worship leader in yes. town, all yes. that. Yes. If you took faith out of the story, would you have made it? No. You don't think you would have? Oh, absolutely not. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's right. Faith is not hope, okay? Faith is the substance, which means there has to be something that you're holding on to that no one else can see, mm. not even yourself. Because, see, I, cause, cause I didn't have any of the answers. All I knew was there was this substance mm. that seemingly would keep me afloat. It's like if you, if like it's, it's like if your boat capsized, right? You don't know if you're going to be rescued, how you're going to be rescued, but there's just this floating particle in the water that you're holding onto that's keeping you afloat until the rescue team yep. comes. Yep. So for me, that's what the moment was. So faith was that thing floating. So it's the substance of something hoped for, but there was no evidence of it. If I didn't have faith, one of two things would have happened. I would have agreed got into agreement with Satan, I would have never gotten into agreement with God. Yep. Because in life, all you do is make agreements. That's right. Every day you make an agreement with something. Mm. It's an unspoken mm. agreement that you make every single moment of your life. You're making an agreement with success or you're making an agreement with failure. You're making an agreement with love or you're making an agreement with hate. You're making an agreement with you can or you're making an agreement with you can't. Every day you walk, you're standing in agreement with something mm. or someone. Spoken or unspoken, you're in agreement with someone. Yep. If you allow something to happen in your community and you say nothing, you're in agreement with it. Right? right. You don't have to do you're it. You're right. You're, you're in right. agreement with it. You're standing in agreement with it. So I chose to stand in agreement with God. It was just a choice. It was just a yep. and so without faith. I wouldn't have been able to do it because faith says, well, you know, hey, uh, you really didn't do it yourself anyway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so get out your feelings, right? Yep. You know, because I had to put on my big boy draws. Yep. It's like, get out your feelings. Uh, it wasn't all about you. It, don't think you were so great that you had that success. Right. It was me that gave it to you. So and it's me that can give it to you again. So if I didn't have that faith, I wouldn't have had a compass to lead me back to center. 
And that's what I think people miss is that without faith, there is no compass. Mm. There's just no compass because the world is pulling you. You've got some people pulling you to the left. Some people pulling to you to the right. I mean, look at our society now. That's right. There's the left. That's right. And there's That's the right. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> so if you're standing with the left, you pull this way. If you're standing with the right, you pull this way. Yep. But if you're in the center, right? Yep. That's the only place of anchor. Mm. That is the only place of anchor is center. So faith just simply gives you a center. And if you have a center, you have some sense of stability. You have some sense of direction. It's like when you get lost, go back to center. Yep. It's like when you get off the main road before you can, you know, correct your directions and, and, and correct your course, you have to get back to the main road. Then you can get your course corrected to get to wherever it is you're trying to get to. Yep. Without a main road, dude, you're lost. You're lost. Man, you're lost. Mm. And the worst lost is when you don't know you're lost. When you don't know you're lost. Right. That's exactly right. (laughs) You're exactly right. You're exactly. And I think every, and it's just funny because these are the things nobody talks about, but the more driven a person is, the more quote unquote failure robs them because they thought they had achieved it. They had done it. And And I think more men than will ever admit got to the night you got to. Yep. There's no doubt about it. Yep. And I've known some of my best friends that that were at that, oh gosh, what am I going to do point? You said your mentors talked to you about you've got more purpose in you yes. than you're living out. Yep. Tell me about that purpose. So I'm sure at at rock bottom, when you hit when you hit bottom and everything's gone yep. and you found that bottom sturdy. Yep. What was the purpose you found you were created for? The purpose that I was found that I was created for is the ability to use these communication skills that I was given, right? Um, because I was a, I stuttered coming up. I studied as I mean I stuttered really as a yeah yeah. So I had a speech impediment. So so I went back to the days of how I wasn't supposed to be on a microphone and how something happened. That I would stutter in conversations, but whenever a microphone was present, I wouldn't stutter. Mm. Right. So I knew that the mic had some purpose in my life. I thought the purpose was just to be on the radio and announce the next hit song that's coming. Yep. It wasn't what what they helped me to understand is that somehow when I spoke, people would listen. I don't know why, Mm -hmm. but no matter what room I was in, when I spoke, people would listen. Because of my story and my past and all the things that I had to overcome, I've got some substance to share. Mm -hmm. So my purpose, what I realized was, is to take all the knowledge that I had gained up to this point. And if I impart it into other people, the greatest contribution that I can make to the planet is helping people, is empowering people to empower themselves. Mm Because I'm a living witness of it. That's right. Right? So I've got a story to tell. I've got a gift in being able to tell it. And I understand strategically what it takes to tell a story and how to make it matter. Yep. Right? Because that's what marketing is. Marketing is taking something and conveying it to being of value to other people. Yep. How do you make it matter? So I had this unique blend of a gift a company with an ability to make it matter and then toppled with this ability to convey it. So that was a, a power that was given to me. So the question became, what are you going to do with this power? Are you going to be selfish and just use this power for you so you can have more stuff, do more things, maybe impress more people, have another notch in your belt, mm-hmm. move up to a bigger house, things that really don't matter. At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. because you can only live in one room or you're going to use this to empower someone else. And when I when I changed, I was speaking at a school once to young people. And this is when I realized that it was some value to other people. Mm -hmm. I was speaking to this school in Gwinnett. And this young boy, I don't know, maybe it was 12 or 13. I spoke to a group of them. To me, it was just a speech. Right. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from this woman in tears. 
She says, this is Ernest Davis. I said, yeah. She says, oh, I just want to thank you so much for saving my son's life and repairing our relationship. I'm like, lady, who are you? I've never, I'm saying to myself, I've never met you. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. never, what relationship? So she went on to say that the words that I imparted into that, her son, he was going astray. Mm. He was in the streets. He was selling drugs. He was doing all these things. She said that day that I spoke in, in Gwinnett changed his life. He got out of the streets, got his grades up, decided to go to college wow. and started saying yes, ma'am, to her and started to be a, treat her like a queen. And I said, wait a minute. Those 15 I'm saying to myself that 15 minutes, you sure you got the right person? She says, yes, you changed his life. That amazing. So I went back to Gwinnett again a few years later, and I saw that young man. He was in college, and he made it a point to come. He said, you know you changed my life. And he remembered my speech. He remembered. He says, I remember when you said this, and you said this, and you said that. I said, you remember that from three years ago? He says, I'm telling you, it changed my life. That's when I knew words had power. Yep. Yep. I said, this is it. This is it. If I can... Stand in front of a microphone, say a few things, and change the lives of people. That's right. That was one of that was the most rewarding. Mike, that was better than any check I've ever cashed. Wow. That was the most rewarding moment in my life when something as simple as words could change someone's life. Are you done creating? Or is no. there still more creating in you? It's always more creating. Because we're about the same age. <laughs> so we're youngsters, right? We're young. We're yep. young. We're young. We're we, young. Are, we are we're on young. it. What's left to create for you? Oh, a lot. Tons. There's more to create than anything I've created. Mm. Um, writing a book. Writing two books. Um, and they're almost finished. And I'm building a program for young entrepreneurs. Oh, I love it. Right? Um, because I want to help. Because I want to leverage entrepreneurship. Yep. To help people understand how to navigate life. Good. Because there's so many similarities in being a successful entrepreneur as it is as being a successful person in life. Because the same due diligence that it takes to be an entrepreneur, the same creativity and tenacity it takes to be a good entrepreneur, um, the same talents and skill sets and intention that it takes to be a successful entrepreneur are the same talent, skill sets uh, and tenacity it takes just to be successful in life. Mm. So I want to leverage that because it gets people's attention. People now want their own. They like the idea of freedom. And I think everybody deserves to be free. Yeah. I think one of the most rewarding things about being an entrepreneur is that you're able to take something you're passionate about and not only profit from it, but you can create a sense of purpose behind it. Right. Right. And it gives you the freedom to do what it is you've been created to do so that you can release yourself from this bondage of whatever it is that holds you back. Mm. So that's what I'm creating. That's that's the platform. I mean, and I'll still keep my hands and fingers in other things, right? Because it's just kind of who I am. I mean, I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Hey, listen, man. Man. <laughs> you might have tuxes in your that's car for right. all I know when I go out there. Winfrey's tux room, man. Come right. to Ackworth. That's right. You never know. <laughs> so when right. life is said and done, you close your eyes on this side. That day will come for all it of us. Come. Jesus didn't come back. You stand before the Lord. What do you hope he tells Ernest Davis? I hope he tells Ernest Davis... You died empty. Mm. Because if I die full, and what I mean by that is, I don't mean empty as in loss, Mm -hmm. but empty as in everything he's poured in me, I had the time to pour it into someone else Mm. and into other places to plant these seeds that are growing. And I I hope that he, that I'm able to turn around. He says, I want to show you all those seeds you planted. And I want to show you how many people are harvesting from those seeds and how beautiful it is that people are eating from the tree that you've helped to plant in their lives. My greatest fear is dying and him saying to me, look at what you could have done mm. that you didn't do. And because all that fullness, I don't think has any value in heaven. Whatever heaven is for whomever it is, right? Mm-hmm. I just honestly think that a million bucks, 10 million bucks has no value there. Yep. I really think that all your talents and skills, gifts, dreams, I don't think they have any value there. Nope. I think time's up. It's over. And um, if you forfeit that opportunity to live 
your absolute best life, to me, that's living in regret. And um, I just don't want to live the rest of my life in eternity. I know this sounds crazy because eternity is supposed to be this place, right, that we envision where every day is milk and honey, right? Mm -hmm. But somehow I just don't want to live it in regret of what I didn't do that I could have done. The life I could have saved. Um, I heard um, Bill Gates. I was having this conversation with someone, and Bill Gates was being introduced. Uh, he was uh, being interviewed by Oprah, and he was a part of this medical aid. And all these thousands of lives he had saved, right through through his foundation. Yep. He started to cry, and Oprah said, "Well, why are you crying? I mean, you've done a wonderful work." And he said, I'm crying because it took me so many years to do it. He said, I'm crying because if I had started this medical mission 10 years ago, mm. instead of I could have saved 50,000 lives. So because I didn't do it and I had the resources to do it, 50,000 people died because I didn't. And that's a heavier burden to bear than the lives that I have saved. And I got that when he mm -hmm. said that, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are things we have the bandwidth to do now. We just don't. We just don't. For whatever reason, we just don't. I hope you enjoyed that time with Ernest. What a story. Holy smokes. You know, when you hear that, it's just a reminder. God's got a story in all of our stories. I love what our buddy Sam Collier said on his episode when he was with us. When our story connects with God's story, it becomes a greater story. And boy, for Ernest, his has become a greater story, hadn't it? And just the way that God is using him. And I love what he's doing with RealMoneyRealTalk.com. And if you want to find out more about Ernest, that is the best way to find it out, is visiting him there at his site. And just a gentleman's gentleman. Thank you, Ernest, for making us better. And I'm praying for all of the lives that he is going to continue to influence across the country when they see who they could be because of who he has become. And so much of that is because of his relationship with Christ. Thank you, Ernest. You made us all a little better today. Well, in our next episode, we get to sit down with Damon West. You may know Damon's name from the best-selling book that came out last year, The Coffee Bean, which details his story that is a story of triumph. It's a story of overcoming adversity. It's told in the story of a fable with author John Gordon, but it is so challenging about being a coffee bean in a world that is not. And you are going to love hearing Damon's story. It is incredible. So I can't wait to see you again soon. Make sure and share this with a friend and go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.